Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, how are you? You've been very upset. So... I got on an incredibly crowded tube train the other night at like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. And I became aware that someone had bags on a seat, like I would say three or four shopping bags. And I was like, you're you're kidding me. So the next time the train emptied out, I said to him, and there was like sort of a wealthy looking woman. And I said to her, are those your bags? And she went, no. And then another woman who was clearly a tourist went, they're mine. But this woman was stood up. She was standing so the bags could sit. Yes, it was like... She gave up her seat for the bags. Yeah, so there was this moment where I was like, maybe I'm the asshole. This is an unusual situation. I've never seen that particular escapade. You know what it is? Go on. A mitigating circumstance. It's a mitigating circumstance. She mitigated the circumstance. Well, it is testament to just how many scrapes you get into on public transport that the situation you've just described isn't actually the one I was asking about. Oh my God, I forgot. I think I'm repressing it. I think as I get older, I'm going to get into repressed memories. That's all I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) Like most people are repressed from childhood. I think I'm going to get into like some middle-aged repressed memories. We'll we'll tell you what it is later. Oh my God. Now, you've really had a week of it, haven't you? You've had a week of it. I've had a crazy week. So much is happening. And one of the situations which has pushed you to the brink is we, we had a guest drop out at the last minute. Oh my God. So... On this week's episode, we've kind of got an in-case-of-emergency-break glass guest, (laughs) which is to say it's a friend of ours who's brilliant and we will be getting her on in her own right later this year because she has a series coming out on Apple TV+. Plus. We have a a close friend who's a showrunner. She, our guest, Catherine Jaquez, Catherine and her husband, Nick, are our best couple friends. But crucially, we're not Nick and Catherine's best couple friends. (laughs) They're so popular. I worry that we're no one's favorite couple. I don't 
think were a lot of fun to be around together. No, we went out on a first couple date the other night. Oh. And I do wonder what the people in question said about us in the taxi on the way home. I thought we were adorable on that night. Really? I thought we put our best foot forward. We might not have been. But anyway, I, I don't think we're terrible. It was the first double date. First formal. First, first, formal. Double, first formal. It was our first formal. We got corsages for the girls. And it was memorable because they had news. Yeah. They're having a baby. She's having a baby. He got her pregnant. Fine. We were effusive with our congratulations. I stood up. I think you then went way too hard on the shitty parts of the first year of motherhood. Well, that's what you think they were talking about on the way home? Yeah. Well, that's horrible. What should I do? Invent time travel? I don't know. Whatever. I don't need any more friends. <laughs> All right. So our saviour guest coming to our rescue for this week's episode is the showrunner of Buccaneers, which starts on Apple TV Plus later this year, the brilliant Catherine Jakeways. My quick watch. So many people have mentioned it. So I finally watched Deadlock this week. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a, it's essentially sort of a murder mystery. A dead body turns up and the the lead in the series is this police officer who winds up investigating the murder in this town of Deadlock which is in Tasmania. To sell anyone on this who's debating whether or not they should watch it. The first thing that happens is that we come upon this dead body and we get full frontal dick. Oh. And these teenagers who are like partying from the night. So it's dawn and the teenagers are like partying and they're smoking. And she gets so freaked that she drops her cigarette onto his pubic hair. And like she starts to freak out because she's lit a penis on fire. Hang on, has this body been in the water? Yes. So why are his pubes so flammable? I don't know why you're asking these questions. I just don't think pubes are that flammable. I don't want you to be a naysayer on this. I'm like really into it. I'm like feeling joy and I want to ride this. Yes. I think this is my favorite thing. The fucking funniest thing we've found so far. The wife is like the funniest person I've seen on on a screen since I, I don't. No. I feel like a very significant part of my personality is in the character of this wife. They do a bit about a choir that is the stuff about adult choirs that I have been waiting for my entire life. Wow. Hundy P. Watchy Watchy from Old SBZ. Hundy P. Hundy P. I'd love to hear from you if you see yourself reflected on screen in any show. Then we could build a mental profile of our listeners. Yes. Like write into us and tell us who you are. But then who makes you see yourself reflected on screen? So I do not live in Tasmania. I am not Australian. I am not a lesbian. I am not married to a police officer who is taller than I am and very stoic. But that is who I am. I understand now on screen. (laughs) She's a vet. Oh, my God. you got to get into it, Jeff. And it's new. It only aired for the first time in June. Oh, really? So we're like not that behind. But now that I look at the Wikipedia page, I remember reading a very short article on it because the creator's name stuck in my mind. It's McLennan and McCartney. Yeah, McLennan and McCartney. They're both named Kate. So it's Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney. We've got, listen, we've got a bit of an Australian listenership. I am so desperate to talk to these women. Do any of you know someone who knows someone? Hook a sister up. Who are these fucking geniuses? That's where I am at today, having just watched one episode for my quickie. My quick watch. Tell me about it, stud. Funny you should say that, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Mine is Harlan Coben's Shelter, and it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, A teenager is sent to live with his aunt after his parents are in a car crash in which his mother is seriously injured and his father dies. That's what you see initially. One thing that gives me incredible anxiety watching on TV is people having fun (laughs) in a car, but the shot is too tight on the interior Uh of the car uh and the uh fun. Because... 
I always know something terrible is about to happen. Yes, yes, you hate fun in cars. Yes. Never had that in Wayne's World during the Bohemian Rhapsody scene. No, you actually, you love having fun in a car. So here's what this show lives in the same box as, I think. Uh Uh-huh. Stranger Things. Supernatural vibes? So it feels like it's going that way, but I suspect that there's going to be some kind of thriller-ish explanation for it all rather than a supernatural one because for for me there is nothing worse than being lured in with a show and think what's going on here Hmm, this is interesting and then all of a sudden it's a ghost or it's a portal into another dimension although i did quite like stranger things but then we really fell off with it didn't we yeah i don't like teenagers i don't know what to say there is a character in this show who if i could go back in time and reinvent my personality i i would reinvent it as this teenage boy he's a nerd uh-huh. He's given himself the nickname of Spoon. Uh-huh. Have you ever tried to give yourself a nickname? One of my oldest friends calls me Sarah. I have to say Sarah isn't a great nickname. It's just a slight abbreviation. <laughs> I remember when I was 11, I befriended this boy. who um, His dad was into sailing and he took me out sailing, just me and the dad on a two-man dinghy. And I remember saying to this guy, uh, some people call me Penfold. <laughs> Which nobody did. Uh, 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 nobody called me wait, Penfold. Where did you get Penfold from? Penfold was Danger Mouse's sidekick. <laughs> right. A kind of slightly dishevelled, I don't know if he's a mole or something, with glasses. And I think I'd watch that cartoon and think, I wonder if I could make Penfold my nickname. Oh, an eccentric. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, a sweet eccentric. So anyway, this, this character is a nerd, but he's so great and funny. Honey, I think you're a nerd who's so great and funny. I know, but I'm also whiny that's and anxious. Where, that's where Spoon's going to get by the time he's 50. And the reason I said, oh, I will, when you said, tell me about it, Stud, do you want to know who is in this show? Go. D.D. Con. No. Who played Frenchie. No. Yes. How's she doing? She's doing all right. Okay. I'll tell you who else is in it. Constant Zimmer. Who, do you remember we briefly oh, yeah, became obsessed with that Obsessed show. is overstating it. That's embarrassing. Well, no, money, Dick Power. It, yeah, money, money, Dick, Dick Power. Power. It, was what was it, un- called? it was called Unreal. It was about um, behind the scenes on a reality show. Why did we like that? I, I feel don't embarrassed know. thinking about, like, as a mother, have I watched a show that we called Money, Dick Power? That was the theme of the show was that, like, as, as like, a lady boss, you were chasing money, dick, and power. I think actually I'm into money, dick, power. Those are your three. Well, my big obsession is money. My big obsession was dick. I like the way that dick is in the past tense. Well, I'm not chasing the D anymore. No, but there there is a D available to you. Yeah, but it's almost like your dick is my dick now. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, you know, so I don't... Oh my God, wait, power for me is going to be Q3. Ladies, are you listening? Q3 is like your third quarter and maybe my Q3 is my power. Anyway, here's why I thought you would like this show. There's a spooky house and the Bat Lady lives in it. Oh, I want to go to there. The Bat Lady. Well, listen, Jeff, you've sold me. I want to watch it. Now, in what appears to be uh, becoming a regular feature, you you have a very quick thought that you would like to share about Sex in the City. I want to say something even before I talk. It's not Sex in the City, and that's very important. It's in just like that. The point that I want to make is that if this podcast that you and I are doing together has any sort of liftoff, then my dream for series three of and just like that is that I will do my own podcast, but it'll just be me screaming for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might get old. All right, I take your point. Listen, all I want to say for our little community, Jeff is out of the room. Go away. Girls night. Girls night. (laughs) Get out of here. No men's allowed. Just the girls. Can I just say, I cannot even remember 
most of what happened in this episode. I didn't do my usual triple watch, two of which were on fast forward for most of it. I can tell you, I think the storyline with Anthony and the fucking Italian guy is so dumb, I can't watch it at all. Um, And the thing to do with how, like, um, what's his name is now a monk, I thought was, like, laughable, but I guess they had to wrap it up, but whatever. Did you not feel, and God bless John Corbett, I love him. Americans who are 44 loved Northern Exposure in the 90s. We loved John Corbett. Did you not feel that the big breakdown scene he had to do to close out the episode was l- like, it, it? I laughed. Like I put my hand on my mouth and I laughed. It was the worst bit of acting I've seen so far. And that is saying something. Thank you. Bye. Baron out. See you for season three. Just me five minutes every week. Come on, girlies. <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear from you. We'll be paying a visit to Mr. Inbox later. I'm hungry. I might be I might be losing the voice. I felt last week I forced it slightly, which is always a sign that okay. the tides are turning. Yeah. The point is this. We want to hear from you. Uh, are you like Sarah? Have you seen yourself reflected in a TV character? We want to make a, uh, an imaginary tapestry. Yes. That's very pleasing. Of our listeners according to the TV characters that they most relate to. This is going to be like the AIDS quilt, but not as sad. Also, shall we ask if there's any particular TV trope that gets your anxiety up? Like me with fun in cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you think there is anyone listening to this who would be able to fill us in on just how flammable pubic hair is? There you are, honey. That's the fucking moneymaker right there. A deep dive into how combustible pubic hair is. It must be incredibly combustible. Think how combustible hair is. And pubic hair is like even drier because you don't moisturize. Mm. Even the fanciest lady doesn't moisturize down there. Condition? No, no one is conditioning their pubes. What if it turned out everyone conditions their pubes except for you? (laughs) No, 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 there's no way. I I keep my finger on the pulse of these kinds of things, you know. I'm talking to people all the time. Maybe it just hasn't come up. No, I feel I know what a lot of, not just friends, but acquaintances are doing with their pubic hair. The email address. Fuck off. At firecrotchandnormcore.com. Now, by the time you hear our next episode, we will have been to the Edinburgh TV Festival and back. Aren't we fancy? I'm chairing a session about reboots. Do you have to be like very neutral about it? I think I have to ask some provocative questions. You're very good at that. I don't like to compliment you, but I do think you're good at a provocative question. And we're hoping to see some of the other stuff that's going on. I know Louis Theroux is part of the lineup, as is Sally Wainwright. And Jesse Armstrong's doing something with Marina Hyde. She's so brilliant. Yeah, 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 whatever. He better not fucking like her more than she. He likes me. He's fucking getting interviewed by everyone. Hey, 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 hey. But for people who aren't delegates at the TV festival, which is, is a broadcast industry event, we got a little something for you. Oh, just a little something. It's happening again. We're talking to Jesse live on stage. You want to feel this heat? I got you. And I'm so excited because after the last interview, I thought, I wonder if we've asked everything we've got for Jesse for the you time can, being. This is the thing. You can never ask everything for Jesse. Well, this is this over the last couple of months. I've been thinking about Succession. I've been thinking about how it ended. I've been thinking about the show as a whole. I have come to the conclusion that the whole thing was overrated. And I'm going to say that to his fucking <laughs> face. Listen. Tickets, you can find them at the Edinburgh Fringe website, but also you can check out our Instagram. Uh, They like to watch, and it's in the bio of our new Instagram account, Fresh. Give us a follow for the kicks, for the content, but also for the link where you can buy tickets to us live with Jesse Armstrong, one day only in Edinburgh this Saturday, the 26th. And just a reminder, coming up later, we're, we're genuinely thrilled that you'll get to hear from our guest. I know what we should call her. She's our emergency contact. Now, we, we would have had her on later this year when her new show, 
Buccaneers comes out on Apple TV+. Plus. Can I pitch her career to everybody? Just not even pitch it, but can I like give my version of it? Yeah. She started off as like a young woman in her 20s, as mostly an actor, a comic actor. Yeah, and she's cropped up in everything from uh, Horrible Histories, Extras... Miranda episodes, Sherlock. She then, she starts writing. So then sort of in her 30s and 40s becomes a writer, mostly doing like BBC radio comedy stuff. And then she starts like writing TV stuff. And I've never even really understood what she was doing with TV. My only understanding of her writing TV was that there would be like near misses. So now she's getting close to 50. Of course, she looks 30, blah, blah, blah. And she has finally got her fucking show. It is Her show. She's been working towards this her entire fucking career. And as she enters Q3, ladies, (laughs) she is now the person in charge of the next big show on Apple TV. It's a fucking amazing thing. So that's who we're talking to today. Well, we're only back on Amazon Prime Video for our big watch this week. Our big watch is a film. And I think it did get a little theatrical release. But my impression is this is one of these films that was always intended to have a life on a streaming platform. Yes. Okay. Had that feel to it. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus's new film, You Hurt My Feelings. Mm-hmm. First things first, we always make the assumption that, like us, people are looking for remnants and, and ripples of succession to hang on to. <laughs> this film also stars... Arian Moyad, Stewie. I knew that Arian Moyad was in it because I stalked him online. That's how oh. I knew. And then the actor who played Sid Peach. The boss of ATN. The boss of ATN plays Julie Louis-Dreyfus's mother. But that's not the only succession connection. What's the next one? There's the fellow who played Brian Clark, the trainee at the Waystar Management Training. Oh, of course, yes. Of course, that Roman went on. Yes. The guy who was uh, intellectually promiscuous but culturally conservative. That is so <laughs> funny. We were alerted to this film, remember, by our former mole on the set. Oh. Slime Puppy. Slime Puppy. I didn't know that he was the one. Who worked on this film and is mentioned by name in the film. Do you want to tell people the premise? Yes. It's about the lies we all tell to each other. Not the big lies. Not covering up affairs. No. The the small, almost kind lies. Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays an author. One day she and her sister spot their husbands out and about. They decide to sneak up on them. Yes. As they do so, they hear that they're discussing Julia's new as yet unpublished book. And the husband is saying he doesn't think it's great. And he has said to her face repeatedly how great he thinks it is. So then it's like this bomb has gone off in their marriage, which is that he's like capable of lying to her about something like that. It's it's also about, in some ways, the lies we tell ourselves Yes, darling, that was very well put. And this plays out in the husband's character as well. The actress Tobias Menzies. I, th- I think you said Menzies. That's one of those names that I'd, I've got it in my head that you might pronounce it Mingus. What? I don't know. I, th- I think it's a Scottish you thing. People. I think it's a Scottish thing. These but um, he's a face you'd recognise from Game of Thrones. In fact, I'll tell you where you're known from. He was in The Crown. He played Prince Philip uh, in the seasons right, when right. Olivia Coleman Is was. Is he the English? Crown. Yes. God, that was a fucking good American accent. Here's what I got to thinking about. Go on. If one of the central things in the film is how would the people close to us feel if they knew what we really thought? Yeah. I think I would be devastated if I heard you just having a casual conversation with an acquaintance about me. No, that is not true. 
This is like one of your big things now. You saw that one text that it was me trying to make someone like me. She was like, ooh, I fucking hate my husband. Ew, I fucking hate him. It's gross having to fuck him. I was like, ha ha, totally. And then you perceived that as me saying it was disgusting to fuck you. But in fact, it was just that I wanted her to like me. But you didn't just say totally. It was something like you think you've got it bad. Imagine having to fuck Jeff. It was like that. It was like that. It was like that. It was not like that. It was like that. It was not like that. I would throw you under the bus to make someone like me. But the point is, it's to make someone like me. It's not because that's how I actually feel. Another thing I wanted to talk about was how how much you saw yourself reflected in this film. This is very embarrassing if I've seen myself reflected in two things. But there are a few things. Firstly, there was a... Uh, a whole conversation about putting potato salad in tinfoil. And that is absolutely something that you would do. The lesson I refuse to learn is that I shouldn't put food in my rucksack. In the mid-naughties when I was waitressing... (laughs) I was in my high protein zone and I would use a George Foreman grill to like cook a piece of salmon and I would wrap the fish in tinfoil and then just put the tinfoil on my back. And then I'd be like, well, I'll eat that midway through my shift. And so there was a point where I opened my locker and everyone downstairs was like, what the fuck? I was like, I'm sorry, it's my salmon. I'm doing a thing with salmon. And I remember one day getting my bag out and there was just like salmon grease everywhere like my whole bag was covered in fish grease wow and that's one example my husband will tell you that's one example of of probably 1000 times that has happened to me and then another way i wondered if you saw yourself reflected is julia louis dreyfus's character is an author but not successful <laughs> enough that that is the only thing she does so she also teaches creative writing groups mm-hmm. which is what you used to do in new york city i did because i'd sold a book thank you so much but don't read it it's not good <laughs> um so you would teach several nights a week small classes three nights a week it was people who like always wanted to write but never really got it together so they would like take a class to, to force themselves into a deadline and, and, and these were people who wanted to take a, a, a funny situation for their own life yes and then make it into a humorous story yes and and this is something we see in the film as well yes. and and a lot of the ideas in the film are idiotic how common was it for these students to want to write about idiotic things it wasn't that common really mostly people had good pitches the biggest mistake that people would make uh, listen i'm giving this shit away for free right now a coincidence is not interesting <laughs> that'd be my biggest lesson i would give people so that would be the idiotic things would be like oh so there was this one year and something happened and then it turned out their neighbors from 10 years ago and you're like no nah. But generally, people's stories were really funny. It's just that most people can't write. And and you would teach some of these classes in oh classrooms. I'm just remembering all these uh, people now, yeah. But you would also conduct <laughs> classes in your you smallish flats in, in so much Brooklyn. so pathetic than it was. People would come around and, what, sit in a little circle on the floor at your feet? It wasn't at my feet. Here was the thing. I started to run the numbers and I was like, if I could like poach the students from this school, I, <laughs> I could like quadruple my money, right? And so I would run it out of my apartment. So I'd, I'd put my chairs up and I'd, you know, I'd always have like a hint of lime Tostitos. People would like bring beers and we'd sit and we'd like workshop everyone's writing for three hours. Fun and Friends in Bushwick. I called it Fun and Friends in Bushwick because I lived in Bushwick and it was like a little bit of a joke, but it was kind of real. Now, my memory is when, when we started courting, I'd come over to visit you. Yeah. But you're a lady who likes to keep busy, so you're not going to take time off for when you're long distance lovers in town. Yes, but that's some of my mom's stuff that is within me and it's like fixation on money and work. So there was one particular evening... <laughs> And it was raining or something. I didn't want to go anywhere. But you were hell bent on none of those students ever knowing that I was in the and house. It seemed very unprofessional that like my boyfriend, I mean, there were some other, you know, <laughs> unprofessional 
things going on. <laughs> you had just... a toilet that didn't flush. Oh my god, I had so many things going on. But but this was the one that you chose to fixate on. Because so so I, you barricaded I me. Writing should be private to people so you, who weren't you, in the you class. You barricaded me. I gave you like into a your vase bedroom. to piss into. I think we gave you food and water, and I was like, I'll see you in three and a half hours. And you told me to be absolutely silent. Yeah, I said, make no noise. I felt like um crazy relative locked in the Well, attic. the very funny thing you did about three and a half hours later, I came back in to get you, and I went like, hi, and you went... <laughs> like a vampire. Like a vampire. It was very... It really made me laugh. I felt so in love with you in that moment because you were so funny. Well, it must have been nice for you to see a glimpse of your old life in this film then. Whatever she had going on was a lot more professional <laughs> what i had going on well i i like this film a lot yes i'll tell you what it made me think about before we were parents we would often go to the cinema and i feel like we we would mm-hmm. happen across a film like this with some frequency where, where you'd think i really enjoyed that and it was smart and funny and good on the psychology of people and relationship dynamics then you never really think about it again Yes, I think it's exactly that. A bit like a middling Woody Allen film. Not quite, because middling... Whoa, that's hard to say. A middling Woody Allen film, you're like, oh, come on, Woody Allen, yes. come on. Whereas this, I just thought You like, go in with quite low expectations, and it, it's really enjoyable. Well, yeah, if, if Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in something, and it was that it was written by that Nicole Holof Center, I never know how to pronounce her name, so I didn't go in with low expectations, and I was still happy. There was a laugh-out-loud moment delivered by Arian Moyed. For, for, for me, biggest laugh of the film. Biggest laugh of the film, he delivers it, and also... It was really interesting to see him in a different role. He's got range, as it turns out. He was out. almost, it, like, he looks exactly like himself, but this... It, His vibe was such... It, it, I, I always feel uncomfortable saying vibe. It's such it's, a terrible word. Because we didn't know, is this guy just good at playing Stewie? But wow. I hope he's a nice person, but I hope he cheats on his wife and I'd like to be in the queue. Thank you. <laughs> You would let me fuck Stewie. If, if Arian Moyed would fuck me, you would let that happen for me, don't you think? I mean, that was barely a question. It was a, what they call a leading question. I wouldn't. I know that I wouldn't um, be allowed to have sex with him. The film is called You Hurt My Feelings. It's on Prime Video. And coming up next. Our emergency contact. Who knows? Another two, three months, we, we wouldn't be able to get her. No, she's she, ha- she has to. She's an emergency contact. She has to come and talk to us again in November. Yeah. Let's hope so, because this this show is going to be a thing. Apple are already starting the pre-promo. Primo? Is that a thing? <laughs> Let's do it. Primo, but yeah. meaning pre-promo. The show is Buccaneers, and next we talk to showrunner Catherine Jaquays. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm at my dad's house in Alngol, Northamptonshire, Peterborough. I'm not going to give the full postcode. And my dad is having a barbecue. <laughs> some of his neighbours will be arriving in about an hour. And there's some stress. There's some stress in the air. Now, I think that you and your husband, Nick, I think you sort of, you both can excel in that situation. Oh. But I was wondering how your children, yeah. they're not both, your, your youngest isn't a teenager yet, is No, he? but he may as well be, he's six foot nine or something. They're, they're 11 and 14, so they're very much at the age where they're no longer <laughs> the sweet kids who would sort of gladly hand out some peanuts. Has your dad not got any Tipex they could be sniffing? <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be later. By the time the Dalzells have arrived to one of the guests, <laughs> it might be Tipex time. Yeah. But no, it's fine. I'm very happy to be talking to you. I, I'm slightly worried about giving you a platform. Oh, why? <gasps> what? This is I don't understand. I don't, I don't see where he's taking it, but I'm interested no, I'm to interested. see. Go yeah. on. Well, be- because we were talking about your story earlier and that you are having this flush of success at a, a different stage to what many people do. And I'm worried that this, <laughs> oh, this is oh. going to be encouraging to people <laughs> who should have given up on their dreams. <laughs> To keep going. You're right. I really should have about 10 years ago just done a PGCE or a law conversion, shouldn't I? I I'm not ruling yes. that out for yes. the future. If it's any consolation, my imposter syndrome is absolutely off the charts with the fact that I'm actually doing something that is sort of properly worth talking about rather than something I'm sort of faintly embarrassed by. But imposter syndrome is a funny thing because I, I don't doubt for a second that you feel that like we all all do. But surely part of you sometimes thinks about fucking time as well. <laughs> no, time. it doesn't. I, which I probably should. I feel maybe a man might think that. And I think there's been times over the years where I have expected that that is how I would feel when it's come to it. But actually it's not at all. It's just... It's mainly kind of fear, tiny bits of pride when I allow myself some pride and just, you know, I'm sitting in my old childhood bedroom here, which is not helping. It's been decorated. So to actually be talking about a show that I've written that is going to be on the telly in a a room where I spent a long time wondering if that might ever be the case. And that's not even talking about when I'm 15, but when I was 45, probably still thinking, is that going to be the case? And and now just about. (laughs) Well, okay. so I want I want to tell you. Yeah. My version okay. of your success story. I'd like this. And then I want useful. you to tell me what facts I'm missing. Uh-huh. Okay? Okay. So first of all, Catherine, I've, I'm have i very into this thing now of Q3. I okay. don't know if you know about Q3, but no. we have, as women, we have Q1, Q2, and Q3. Oh, like quarters. Yes. Oh, God. Q3 is going to be when your kids are out of the house and then you can like fully lean into everything professionally. Instead of being like, I'm done with everything. It's like, no, bitch. This is when you hit the gas. Yeah. So you are that person who is showing other women that this is not where we now shrink back and start doing our gardens. No. 
This is when we start show running. So this is what I understand about your career, okay? Okay. When we first met, which was maybe around seven or eight years ago, yeah. you were with your two small children yeah. and your husband with mm. his charisma and his big head, yeah. okay? And and Jeff was like, oh, she's like a pretty successful actor, but I think she also does a lot of writing yeah. for Radio 4. And then there was some point where I was like, but now I feel like she's on a track to maybe writing for television. And then I felt there were like a lot of near misses. Yes. Like something would, oh, oh, she's working as a bank. Oh, yeah. Da, da, da. Come to nothing. Oh, she's working as a, oh, da, da, da. yeah. And then it would kind of come to nothing. If we can say, we'll edit out what you're not comfortable with. There was uh, right before COVID, we all met for lunch. Oh, and you had been like this close. And it had gone I away know. like two days before. And you wept at lunch and you were like, I'm so sorry. And we were like, no, that's a horrible. And my daughter, I remember, who was about 10 at the time, was like, yeah, she's going to cry again when she talks about it. So it felt like there were a bunch of near misses and then you were suddenly a showrunner (laughs) on the next big show that Apple was making. I think, do you know what the absolute truth is when you're talking about this is that I know if I was listening to this story, I would go, yeah, that does feel the way it's happened. But when I was 27 at an Edinburgh show and there was a picture of me in The Guardian and it said something like Rising Starlet. Catherine Jakeways. And I honestly think I still think about that most days. And until quite recently, and actually maybe even now, it still feels a bit like, oh, I never was. I never quite fulfilled that. And they probably say it about four people a week during an Edinburgh run, don't they? Because that's just kind of a yes, yeah, yeah, lazy yeah. shorthand way of saying uh, a woman under 35, probably. But anyway, and then I never kind of was that rising starlet. So I feel maybe now hearing you say it, I think it might be only now on this podcast that I'm realizing, oh, it's a little bit sad, really, when actually you're absolutely right. I should celebrate it. And I hope that is the message that I should put out, isn't it? I shouldn't be rosemary and timing it in the garden. It's it's a strange thing talking to people, you know, because you you end up Googling your your friends when you interview, which you would never do extensively otherwise. I, I did try Catherine Jakeway's net worth. Oh. Um, but it but it came up as still under review. <laughs> That's accurate. It's still under review by me as well. It, it also said Catherine is not married and has no husband. <laughs> right now, the comedian appears to be living a solitary existence. Yeah, I think my husband would say similarly, wouldn't he? <laughs> I'm sure he will have said that to you. <laughs> he probably wrote that. He probably wrote, she is sitting somewhere in a room far away from me and the children leading a solitary existence. And I wish she'd come and fucking laid the dishwasher. I'm going to bring it back to the Buccaneers now. So we've talked about the fact that the show isn't down until November. So we are not here talking to you about the ins and outs of it, which we hope to do again in November when we call in our next favor. Great. But can you tell me from the, from the germ of the idea that you were going to adapt this novel... Through to like you're signing off, it is finished, the ink is dry. How long was that process? Um, the first time I had an email from Beth Willis, who is my wonderful co exec producer, saying, Have you heard of a novel called The Buccaneers? That was August 2019. And very recently, we kind of nixed the last episode. So it's kind of What's that? Nearly four years. So longer than anything else I've ever done, really. Although, having said that, in TV terms, that's really quite short. I was asked whether I wanted to adapt it. I read it. I loved the book. We did a pilot episode, which Apple were very kind about and commissioned a second episode. I think I sat down and sort of started writing the first episode in January 2020. So it was just before lockdown. And then I spent most of that year 
hiding from my children being homeschooled by the aforementioned uh, non-existent husband. And uh, yeah, so then most of the lockdown <laughs> right in the first couple of episodes and then it was greenlit and then we kind of wrote all the rest of it and got the writer's room involved. And, and it was filmed all of last year, all of 2022 in Scotland. We were basically in the middle of Edinburgh in these kind of flats and it was most of the crew and all of the cast were living in this kind of building that felt like Freshers Week. Uh, and we were filming these amazing locations. We were in these country houses and these literal castles and on beaches all over Scotland, staying up late finishing scripts it was kind of like getting to step out of my own life for six months it was weird i, I was just thinking it sounds like you're, you're being paid to have um not, not quite a midlife crisis but some version of it oh in a very safe environment that's exactly what it was and although i can't stress enough how hard we worked and we were literally you know working probably 20 hours a day most days and crying a lot and stressing about it all it was like a midlife crisis. It totally was. Is it, is it weird that writer and showrunner are two jobs on the same career path? Because <laughs> to, to some extent, they, they feel like they bear little relationship to each other. That's a good, that's very good observation, as always, Jeff Lloyd. And you're right, because as a writer, your inclination is to sit in your room and not really talk to anyone and ideally not make eye contact with anyone. And as a showrunner, you are being expected to kind of uh, make decisions and talk to uh, huge numbers of people. And I was massively lucky in that I had a group, really. I mean, I don't think anybody was fooled into thinking that I was actually the showrunner of this show. I was kind of, I was the lead writer. I was the <laughs> creator. Uh, I am an executive producer on the show and I was very involved in all of the decisions and I was on set most of the time and stuff. But the people around me, thank goodness, were hugely um, experienced. But you're right, they're very, very separate jobs. And I think in America, it's all very different, isn't it? They're, there's a sort of career path to being a showrunner, whereas here, they allow somebody like me, who's basically in for Radio 4 for 10 years, on my own, in an office, and with one producer to suddenly sort of have control out of this entire sort of operation. Otherwise, I say, you know, that was very much the theory and not the practice of it. Yeah, you're a bit of a pu puppet showrunner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like that, Punch and Judy runner. Yeah, Catherine, you're such a sort of polite, kind person. I don't feel that it would be your vibe to go like, that's completely wrong, get it right. So how would you tell someone that they had not properly filled the brief? Oh, God. So when the lines were questioned, I would be nervous about whether I'd be able to defend a line or explain the theory behind a line. But actually, you do find that that kind of comes and you go, yeah, I know what, the, I know what this character is and actually I have created this character. And actually, I do feel quite confident in that kind of thing. And this line will sound better if that word is a two-syllable word rather than you change it for a three-syllable word because the rhythm of that line needs to be right. And I think that's quite nice for me to remember that kind of thing because I go, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing here. My husband's going to make fun of me for this, but that's the comedian in her. I feel that's like such a comedy thing to be like, no, two yeah. syllables is not going to yeah, work yeah, yeah. or no, one syllable is not going to work. Absolutely. I think the comedy background the is, off. is huge. And you would know exactly that. You would absolutely, if you hear a line and you've written a line in a particular way, it is absolutely about the rhythm of it. Jim Field Smith, who you had on talking about Hijack, is a contemporary of mine in terms of comedy backgrounds from 20 odd years ago. And Jim and I right. were two of a larger group of people who used to do a thing called Ealing Live. It was sort of character comedy. The characters you used to do oh. as a performer. Yeah. 
Are they, are they still in you, Catherine? Did, 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 <laughs> did they ever come out? Some of the wigs came out the other day. Actually, what's interesting, when I was writing the characters that I used to perform, I quite often used to write about older women. And in fact, the character that I used to write, who I used to perform on stage, was this elderly, washed-up woman called Jan Baynard. And I was looking at the script the other day, and there's a line in it referring to her last birthday, and it was her 45th birthday. And that character <laughs> oh, wow. was honestly somebody who I wrote. I wrote her when I was 27, and it was all, you know, it, it, the the whole point oh, of the character God. was, can you imagine being this woman who thinks she's got a whole life ahead of her? And actually, oh. how sad, because she's 45. So, so wh- where does that voice live in you? Is there an old person voice that you used to do as a 25-year-old performing a 45-year-old woman? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know if it was actually very different from where I am now. I guess it was probably partly my mum. Yes, but you know that I'm just trying to goad you into doing voices. <laughs> you, you know that, don't you? I'm just sitting here trying to goad you into no. doing voices. I'm not doing any voices. And actually, do you know what? I didn't. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I, did, I had about three accents that I used to do. Yeah, that was it. I didn't even do America. Like, uh, there was nothing beyond that. Can I ask how many, have you you've got a rough idea, ballpark it for us. How many actors have you cast in this show to date? I would guess 30. 40 maybe so i just want to compliment you on not not being one of these uh people who facilitate nepotism because as you know your friend sarah here has uh, a degree <laughs> in acting from the new, new oh, york God. school of the performing arts oh and huh? for real i always like a joke that i'll make is i've never been you know i've graduated 2001 i've never worked professionally but that changes on the 5th of September. What's happening? When I'm recording. What's the news? It, it is it is She's the new Doctor Who. No, no, no. <laughs> there's no there's no news. I'm doing some kind of voiceover thing. But the oh, point is no. it is technically an acting job. But I was like, I'm 44. Uh, I graduated at 22 and I'm getting my first ever wage from Acting. Look at the two of you Look with your late in life success stories. We are the poster girls for the perimenopausal woman. <laughs> we are, although, Catherine, I will tell you as well, I've been so convinced I was perimenopausal and I went and got some bloods done and it's just my personality. <laughs> like, I am officially not perimenopausal. Oh. I'm just a cunt. <laughs> we all knew that. Oh, um, shit. How fast is it going to be in five years? I know. Can you imagine? Oh. My husband is excited to see. <laughs> Um, here's the thing I yeah. know about you. Yeah. I know that you got to go to the Emmys. I did twice. You went twice? Yeah. And did you get to go because you were on the Tracy Ullman show? I did. It was a slightly odd one. Uh, and I suspect there are other people involved in that Tracy Ullman show who still can't hear my name without spitting. But my very good friend, <laughs> sure, Caroline, for lots of reasons, my very good friend, Caroline Norris, uh, was the producer of the Tracy Ullman show. So when they were nominated for Emmys two years in a row, Caroline got to take a plus one, but it needed to be somebody who could actually share a bedroom with her. But if you're there sort of like quasi with Tracy Ullman, who do you get to talk to? We were very badly behaved. We spent the whole time um, taking those photos where you pretend you're taking a photo of your friend and really it's because Larry David is behind you or Kristen Wiig is behind you. (laughs) We were so badly behaved. Antonio Banderas was uh, at a table next to us. I mean, it was we spent the whole time like competition winners. I was once on a table at an award ceremony with Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones. Oh, that's good. And he was completely checked out all night until... 
one of the awards presenters was the opera singer from the Go Compare advert. And his face lit up like a little child. And he stood up, he was clapping. It it, it was the one thing that engaged him. I love that for Ronnie. I love that they could be friends. While you're sat in that childhood bedroom of yours, what um, what was the the piece of TV that made you want to work in TV? I would say Alfida's own pet. I would also say um, Only Fools and Horses. I loved and loved and loved and used to record and rewatch and rewatch, particularly the later episodes. And then I know everybody will say this, but Victoria Wood and um, the royal family later on. And Catherine, before we let you go to your barbecue, I can smell your family it. Barbecue, it's being what, fired up. You can smell it coming mm, in. Mm. What should we be watching at the moment? Have you watched Shrinking? Shrinking is the Jason Segel thing with Harrison Ford yep. that Brett Goldstein has been involved in, if I am not mistaken. That's exactly it. Is that, is that what you're going to go with? You commit? I okay, commit committing. to that. We really, really enjoyed that. And I didn't necessarily expect to. I loved that. Um, what else? Oh, Traitors Australia. Have you been watching that? No shit. Yeah. Do we need to? Yeah, I think you do. I think yeah. we're only three episodes okay. in. And I worry that people will have obviously loved the uh, English traitors, that they may have dabbled in the American traitors and been a bit put off the traitors brand because that was a bit too reality. Mm-hmm. But Australian traitors is really a return to early Big Brother character form. Yeah, it's great. Shit. Sorry to put that on you. And you're already we very full dance card of TV that you need to watch. But I think you will. Yeah, but not look back. You, you can't like. Go halfway. You gotta, you gotta you got put yeah. your dick all the way, in <laughs> all the way in. Like, do not dabble. There's no, yeah. there's no middle. No, no. You gotta go full penetration. Yeah. Catherine Jakeways, we we told you you'd love her. She's so charismatic. And if she will do us the favor, we will talk to her again when Buccaneers comes out. Correct. Do you want to quickly try and describe what happened to you on this train? that you haven't even told me about in real life yet. Is a good place to start the thing that you said to me on the sofa last night? Well, I don't remember what I said. We were watching the film. Yes. All of a sudden you paused it, sat bolt upright and went, oh my God, I've just remembered. I I think I tried to get the other passengers to storm first class. (laughs) Did that really happen? It seems so so out of character. So I just had like a shitty day and I was in a mood. Oh, and the other thing that happened to me this week is that I got my blood test back, so I'm officially not perimenopausal, so this is just my personality. I'm not perimenopausal. I'm just an angry person. Anyway, I'm completely normal. I just need to eat more broccoli. (laughs) Did they prescribe you the broccoli? No, but I had sort of like a shitty commute getting to Paddington Station. Things were not going great. Okay, I'm there. I go to the train. And it is jam-packed. There is not a single seat and all the vestibules are packed. This is because it's like supposed to be nine carriages and there's five. So I'm like, then I'm going to sit in first class. Like I paid fucking 30 pounds and it's not so that I can stand for 55 minutes to go to Oxford. So I go up and I say to this woman, I'm like, um, hi, so I have a ticket. It's not for first class, but there is nowhere to sit. So I was hoping I could sit in first class. And she pauses and she goes, how would you feel if you were in first class and someone was next to you? And I was like, well, if there was a seat, I I wouldn't mind. And she says, like, would you like to speak to a manager? And I'm like, no, I know to not ask. I'm not going to ask to speak to the manager, but like, what the fuck? You don't want to be trained, Karen. No, I'm sweating. I'm 
angry and I've had a bad day and there's three other people in this part of the carriage. A man who has headphones on and sort of an attractive younger couple that look kind of cool. And I'm like, what I want to do is I'm trying to get all four of us. To storm first class. And, and, and how are you doing that? How, how so are you? That was my end goal. Is it like if four of us did it, I'm like, I'm the bitch who has the go getter attitude to be like, give me one of them seats. But I can't just be me. I need strength in numbers. So I, I sort of like dip my toe in the water with this couple. So you make eye contact. I make eye contact with the woman. Mm-hmm. And it, I think she was French. But it, she was like, no, we, I, I think that, that because it is a first, they're like saying that you can upgrade. But the, like, well, the French love a protest. Well, these two. Were like there was none of the spirit of Paris '68 to these two. No, these two were like maybe the French Canadian. Then I looked to this other guy. He had his headphones on. Did you try to get his attention at all? These three were fucking chill pills. They were fine. I needed someone else who was at my level, and then there was this other woman Mm. who was at my level of anger, but she would not make eye contact with me. And I was like, "Look at me. We go together. We ride at midnight." She wouldn't look at me. Jeff, she wouldn't look at me. Because nobody wants to make eye contact with the troublemaker on a train, right. no matter how reasonable. Exactly. So if I was on that train, I, I wouldn't be storming first class with you, even if I thought you had a perfectly valid point. I know. What I would be attempting to do is make eye contact with the train employee and roll my eyes a little bit at the troublemaker so that they would think I was one of the good ones. I know all these things, but I was just not in control. In the end, it worked out the best for me because what I wound up doing was getting to sit cross-legged in the vestibule. I got no germ. I don't mind in the, lo- the lotus floor. position. Lotus position. And then eventually at Reading, when everyone got off, and I was like, I'm doing a full stretch. Like, this could never happen in a seat. I remember thinking I could do a full stretch. I could never do a full stretch in a seat. So actually, it all worked out in the end. But it's the closest I've ever come to a protest because you know I would never go to a march. I don't stand with the people. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Inbox. You're dying. Is he he gone? I think he's gone. He slipped away. I just felt Mr. Inbox was really annoying. You you got sick of him. But if you loved Mr. Inbox and you join our Patreon, I'll send you a fucking voice note. Maybe one of your video call parties could be a seance with Mr. Inbox (laughs) from behind the grave. Beyond the grave. Maybe it can just be people giving me suggestions as I try on different characters. Well, I I think what Mr. Inbox would have wanted is for us to carry on reading the email. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. So This first email is from Elizabeth Kessick, who writes, Hola, please recommend some things we can watch with our 10-year-old who thinks being 10 means her bedtime should also be 10 p.m. Elizabeth, I have many feelings on this. I know I come across like a real free-willing bitch, but I'm very, very strict about sleep and bedtimes. But the point is her daughter's up until 10 o'clock. We're into race across the world. Anything with similar vibes is appreciated. So something appealing for adults and teens is the holy grail. So we don't have a 10-year-old, but I was wondering about ghosts for her. Oh, yeah. Ghosts is is fun. It's a sitcom from the Horrible Histories people. So she might have already watched that on CBBC. What do you think of The Simpsons, possibly? Gene and I watched The Simpsons. If I'm absolutely honest, I think I I started him on it too young. Mm Mm-hmm. But your brother's kids of a similar age have seen The Exorcist already. No, don't. (laughs) Don't say that. No, they have not. She's probably getting to an age now where the jokes will be making a bit more sense to her. And I think that would be a great experience. Okay. I don't know 
what you'll think of this, but I'm, as I've mentioned, a RuPaul Drag Race obsessive. And my good friend has an 11-year-old daughter. And so they started watching it together. How blue is the language, though? There is some, yeah. But what I would say, Elizabeth, is you either know Drag Race or you don't. So if you do, make your own decision. But if you don't, I would say come in at season six or season five even, and then watch that on your own and see if you think possibly it's appropriate for your daughter. I know what you're asking, because, because our son is just that bit younger. We haven't got the answer, but we can see if somebody else does. If yeah, you're so- listening to this and you think, oh, here's the thing. If you want to watch something that isn't rubbish, but you can also enjoy it as they used to say, a family watch, yes. um, then, then let us know what that is. Yeah. Elizabeth continues, as for tropes that have to stop, I cannot handle anymore. TV documentaries where the host or voiceover says this is the story of in the intro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Show don't tell, bitches. She signs off. Thank you in advance from Leafy Putney. Kisses Liz. Also a North American manic pixie dream girl living with a sardonic Englishman. I feel you, Sarah. Am I a manic pixie dream girl? (laughs) Am I? No, no. Do I have grace? No. This comes from Holly, who says, Dear FNN, my first time writing in, prompted by your question on watching media just because it has an actor you like in it. I am a connoisseur of this exact behaviour. I get completely fixated on the style and energy of a certain person's performance. It has something to do with the perfect combination of them being incredibly talented and also very fanciable. It happens without warning. And then this new person is on my mind 70% of my waking hours and affects my viewing habits. Mm. The big hitters have been many and varied. But to give you a sense, Rick Mayle, Buster Keaton, Dirk Bogard and Rupert Everett. Since Succession came into my life, Matthew McFadden has been king of my brain. I attempt to watch everything they've been in, good or bad. Being a completist makes it super satisfying for me to mentally check things off my <gasps> list. I appreciate that I sound mad, but it's a process that brings me great joy. That is fascinating. Yeah, I don't have any of that to me, but um, I, I love it when people find little projects that, that bring them great joy. That is wonderful. Does anyone else do this? All right, our next email comes from Abe. Dear FC and NC, after hearing you mention The Wire on a recent pod, I was wondering if you could do an episode or segment on some of the supposed all-time greats, which are overrated. Unlike Jeff, I didn't make it through the second season of The Wire and never quite got the fuss. It's fair. We're not here to shame people. And which are timeless bangers, which deserve their place in the TV pantheon. All the best, Abe. Now, I wanted to include this because I think it's a very good idea. But I don't know how we would do it. Yes, I think there are two distinct categories at least. One is shows where everybody got a bit carried away at the time. So I think Game of Thrones is an example of that. And I I really enjoyed Game of Thrones. And then the the other issue is what you hit up against last week with Boys from the Black stuff, that if you didn't live through it at the time, the pacing and style can just feel like too big a hurdle to get over when you go to it with fresh eyes. All right, Abe, look, we're not sure how feasible it is, but we like the idea we take your point. This is from Annie Sutcliffe, who says, Hey, FC and NC, the trope that should be forbidden from further use is this. Person A has some vital and time-sensitive news to impart to person B, but person B won't stop talking long enough to allow person A to speak and then has to rush off without hearing said news. This literally never happens in real life Mm. and by the way 
the thing that put the poison in me was the floating vampire children in Salem's lot. I can still freak my sister out by gently tap-scratching on the window. That's nice as well. TV memories which trigger a sibling, either into laughter or fear. Yes. Also, here's my recommendation. You mentioned Yellowstone in a recent episode. The pre-prequel, 1883, is a gripping, gorgeous, moving series that made me cry proper ploppy tears. The only caveat being the whiteness of everyone's teeth. This is very interesting to me because one of the stars of 1883 is one of my online obsessions, Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw is a country music star and he is out of his fucking mind. (laughs) So this is making me think I might have to quick watch 1883 just for my man. How do you think I would look in a 10-gallon hat? Insane. When I went in Texas, I was dancing at a hoedown and I was very excited to be there. Mm. And I was, you know, 26. So I was like dressed a little sexy as I liked to. And I was dancing, which was funny. And then a drunk Texas woman came up to me and was like, there are children present. What? And I went into the bathroom and cried. I'm so sorry that happened to you. It was humiliating. Anyway. Also this week, Catherine Ross thinks we should watch Poker Face. Helen Thomas thinks we should talk about Silo. Catherine Drum thinks we should watch Halt and Catch Fire and Somebody Somewhere. Bonnie Montgomery in San Jose. She's like, I'm just in my garden in San Jose. Always tell us where you are. Yes. It's so pleasing to hear where you are. So Thank you. Um, Things we should watch what we do in the shadows. I love that show. Yeah, it's one of Jeff's favorites. And Marta thinks we should watch Am I Being Unreasonable? Well, we have watched that and we loved it. Daisy Mae Cooper. She's the dream guest. Um, So Marta's thing is she's like this Daisy Mae Cooper obsessive. Who can blame her? And so she also said we should watch the other Daisy Mae Cooper show, Rain Dogs. Email us. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Sarah liked to watch Deadlock, which is on Amazon Prime Video. And she loved to hate watch, and just like that. I don't love and just like that, but I think I do just love to watch and just like that. So let's hit it with a straighter bat. HBO Sky and Now TV. I like to watch Harlan Coben's Shelter on Prime Video. And we like to watch You Hurt My Feelings on Prime Video. Catherine Jakeways like to watch Alf Wiedersehen Pet, which you can find on BritBox and ITVX. Only Fools and Horses on BritBox. Victoria Wood, as seen on TV, is on BritBox. The Royal Family is on BBC iPlayer. Shrinking on Apple TV Plus and The Traitors Australia, which you can find on iPlayer. Whatever favor she did us by talking to us, I feel that she then undermined that favor by telling us that we should watch Traitors Australia. Okay, do you know where I am right now? Where? Oh, I'm on a train. I'm leaning out the carriage. I'm waving my handkerchief at you. And and then will you be trying to rally the other passengers to storm I'm, first class? I'm going to be, I'm, I'm with my child and I'm going to go be on stage with my man. But I'm going to still try and storm first class, even though I have a child with me who will be affected by his mother's psychotic behavior. <laughs> All right. By the next time we talk to you, we will have been with our best boy. If you listen to this podcast... And you are in any part of Scotland next Saturday. You better fucking come to this show. It might take quite a long to get. We'll it ta- doesn't matter if you live in Glasgow and you're not there. I will. I will kill you. Well, well I love Sky. Be there, John O'Groats. You don't have to come. Dundee, I want you there. Inverness, I want you there. Dunfermline, you're there. I, I really thought you were going to start naming all the places from the Proclaimers' letter oh. to, um, to America. No more. <laughs> Sunderland, no more. Sky, no more. Oh God, how I saw. When you realise what that song was about. 
That song fucking kills me. Oh, I could go right now just thinking about it. Anyway, we got to go. We got to get ready for the J-Dog. See some of you in that room on Saturday. Bye. Bye.